I was listening and reading uh, to the Bible on our um, Bible reading plan, if you're following along with that, uh, the, the Kirkers reading plan there, and we found ourselves in, in Revelation. And so the other day I was listening to, as I was reading Revelation 1 through 4, and I just felt compelled to talk about that. Uh, I find these letters to be at points encouraging and at points convicting, and I think it's good for us to consider uh, these words and these letters and think, um, what are they saying to us now? So while the topic isn't actually on eschatology, being that we're going through Revelation, it's rather our present circumstances and what Jesus would say to us if he were sending us personal letters today. But the reality is, he is sending a personal letter. He has sent a personal letter. And the scriptures are the very words of God to his people. And they are living and active. And they are the Holy Spirit that carried men along to write these things down is the same spirit that resides within all true believers. Uh, illuminating these words for us, for our instruction and growth. And as I said, um, the spirit is also at times using these words to comfort us or to convict us wherever necessary. But the magic happens, so to speak, <laughs> right here in these words, here in these pages. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written. And as the rest of that verse goes, for the time is near. And this is the only thing I will say about eschatology uh, in this whole thing, I think. Um, on the one hand, regarding eschatology, I see these time texts. If you're looking here with me, I'll, I'll blow that up a little bit. I, I, might, I would like to read Revelation 1 through 3. I don't think all in one shot, but maybe section by section. And I think we'll do it where it's... Uh, we'll, I'm still debating. <laughs> Even now. Sorry. Uh, even now, if we should go through the whole thing and then take it a piece at a time, I'll let you know in a couple minutes. But the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And as we just read, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. When I see these time texts, uh, to me that screams, <laughs> this was written prior to 70 AD. Especially when we contrast Revelation with what the Lord says in the book of Daniel, which we're going over. But that's not the topic, that's not my point. I only want to say that just because I hold a partial, I was going to say preterist point of view, but now because of abuses, I have to say partial preterist perspective. Um, that doesn't mean that the modifier, the time is near, invalidates the blessing for the rest of us because we might be after the main uh, events that are going on that are talked about in this book. Uh, these things are true. There are those who view Revelation through the uh, lens of idealism, which means they generally see the imagery in here as more allegorical. Uh, they see it as representing the patterns of how things are in the world in general and how they will be. 
and they don't see all these prophecies as necessarily being something that must be fulfilled in a literal sense. I disagree with that for the most part, but there's a sense in which they are right. There's nothing new under the sun. The same type of uh, machinations of the enemy are seen time and time again throughout history. The sins of man are never new. And the Lord does mete out judgment and deliverance to individuals and to nations throughout the course of history. So while I believe that the, there are literal fulfillments of the prophecies revealed in Revelation, there are still lessons to be learned and even applied to us today. So all that was my little caveat <laughs> on why that modifier on blessing uh, doesn't negate the blessing for us still. It's also to introduce the heart of the lesson tonight. What does Jesus have to say to us today? As individuals, as a local church, does he have words of comfort? Does he have words of conviction? Perhaps both. So I would like to read the first three chapters of this letter, and I'd like some volunteers to help us uh, take them a, a section at a time. So if you would, um, if you have your Bibles, perhaps open them up, or if you want to volunteer, I'll be scrolling down so you can read it from there if your eyesight is good. I think it would be beneficial. I know I'm not going to get through all seven letters to all seven churches. So barring that, I think it's good to just take the whole thing just as a, um, to hear it once, and then we'll take it a, a letter at a time. Um, I think that would be beneficial. So do I have volunteers to help me with this reading? John, Alex, Sarah, Ryan, Anthony, Calista. Try to remember the order we <laughs> I just called you out in. But just uh, to the best of your ability, read as loud as you can. I know this microphone won't pick it up, but that one is really good about picking it up. So here now, the inspired word of God. John, you want to start? Uh, verse 1 to verse 8 for you, please. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who brought witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us has, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. One more verse. One more verse. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Okay. Uh, Alex, if you would take it from 9 to the end of the chapter. Hi, John, your brother and partner in tribulation, and the kingdom 
and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergium, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the, midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven gold, golden lampstands, and the seven stars, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Thank you. Um, before I go to the next person, you probably already know this, <laughs> but if you don't, uh, or maybe you forgot, keep in mind that description that he just gave of Christ, because you're going to see bits and pieces of it in every letter to the church. He's going to address them by using part of that description to sort of introduce himself in the letter. Just something to, to keep notice of, uh, because it matters. <laughs> Okay, uh, who is the next volunteer to read? Maybe. All right, you and then Ryan. So I'll have you read um, to the, the church in Ephesus, uh, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. Ryan, if you would, read uh, to the church in Smyrna. Sure. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last who is dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have, and you will have tribulation for ten days. 
Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Read the next letter as well, to the Church of Pergamon. Sure. And to the angels of the church in Pergamon write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who keep teaching black to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who are in the same way, hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Pastor Anthony, if you want to read the, to the church in Thyatira. And to the angel of the church of Th in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, to the church in Sardis, who is my next volunteer? Yeah. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's read Calista. Sorry. Sorry. I had your hand up before. Read it out loud. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, 
who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And I need someone to read to the church of Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the, of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Thank you. It's good to have a lot of people read it. Okay. Alrighty. As I said, I know <laughs> there's no way we can get through all the churches uh, here in one sitting. Um, I mean, even, there's so much to unpack here, obviously, and I'm, I'm only looking to skim it to get some of the, the main points I wanted to address. But the purpose of the conversation, again, is what would Jesus say to us as a local church? What would Jesus say to us as individuals? Um, these tribulations and trials are not new. Uh, the sin and compromise of men are not new. Uh, the warnings and promises and encouragements of God are not new. Uh, you know, I remember I was part of a Pentecostal church for a few years in my theological journey. And there were times where there were... Um, Speaking in tongues to the point of like one overcame the rest and it was like a word from the Lord as it were. Um, and what I didn't think about then, I've thought about often since then, was that it was always something good. <laughs> it was always something encouraging. It was never pointing out specific sins in the body or things that we were falling short of. It was always basically a, an encouraging message. And it's not that I think that all Jesus wants to do is hammer us and critique us, but I would think there are a few little insights that we could use for, you know, for uh, correction. 
you know, like, don't put women as preachers, <laughs> teachers, you know, that'd be one thing. They weren't practicing that then at that time, but it came later on. But the Holy Spirit knew. Anyway, I digress. So what does he have to say to Ephesus? What do we see, what do we see Jesus saying to the church at Ephesus? Raise your hand, call out. It's right there. <laughs> it seemed like, from what I'm reading, they basically were doing the right thing, but mm -hmm. they had lost, I guess, doing it out of love for God. Because um, I, there's also another portion of scripture where Paul says, if you have not love, it's worth nothing. Mm -hmm. So if you're not doing it out of love for God, it's not coming from, it's coming from a sinful attitude then because it could be either for just trying to strive for righteousness or just this is what I should be doing but not fueled by love for God or just there's different reasons so. mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's certainly possible Bev go ahead um it sounds like you know lack of better words, like a very liberal church. They were all into works, doing good and everything else, but they lost sight of, of what they're all about, the Lord. Um, there's, on the one hand, there's, there's good things going on, right? I mean, he is, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who evil. Just in regards to the, the one comment about being liberal, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. And then later on he says, um, you have this, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, so there's some good things there. If there's one thing I probably wouldn't think of them as, as, as liberal, I think they're actually a doctrinally pure church. Even um, Ignatius, you know, one of the sort of apostolic fathers later on, you know, that age, um, not an apostle in the sense, you know, but later on he writes to Ephesus and he remarks decades later how... There is no heresy found among you. you. You don't tolerate that. And so there's, there's that commendation that that's something that they're actually good about. The question is, you've abandoned the love you had at first, and it's no minor issue. I mean, he's telling them, remember where you're falling. Repent and do the works you did at first, or I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. So he's, He's commending them on the one hand, but he's giving them a very sober warning on the other. Maria. Yeah. Apparently, um, the Nicolaitans, I think, yeah. they were like guilty of um, a lot of sexual promiscuity and, mm -hmm. and eating food sacrificed to idols, yeah. which if we think about, is, that, is it Ephesians where Paul addresses that or about eating food sacrificed to idols? I don't remember. Um... It's Corinthians. Yeah. It's Corinthians that has that. I'm thinking Galatians. I'm thinking the law, but no. Um, Cameron, I was just to say it almost seems like they're doctrinally pure, but lackadaisical. They are 
not doing the works that they were doing mm -hmm. when they were a new church. They have kind of become uh, content with their lot, so to say, and maybe aren't being as fervent for the Lord as they should be. Okay. I would say this is like representative of what Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So they have the doctrine down, right? But they've forgotten that they too were sinners who needed salvation. And they used their doctrine as a bat to hit people down. You're not doing this and you're not doing that. Rather than saying you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. So, you know, we all, we all sometimes fall into that, um, that paradigm where somebody who doesn't have, like we're, we're opposing somebody who has different doctrine than us, and we're using that doctrine to tear them down mm -hmm. rather than lovingly try to build them up mm -hmm. with sound doctrine. Do, are we really loving our opponent, or are we just trying to slay him with, mm -hmm. with doctrine? Mm -hmm. So love builds up. That mm -hmm. should be people who love other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there something else? So, we have some ideas about what he's referring to when he says you've, you've fallen, you've forgotten. Did I? Uh, you've abandoned. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even, you've abandoned the love you had at first. And so the question is, what was that love? And there are some very common speculations here, the commentators. Um, what is he referencing? Is he referencing the love for God and love for Christ that they once had, that they were zealous for uh, him? And, and now this is more just sort of like a, a right, an obligation, and perhaps they're more lackadaisical about it. Um, is it a love for one another, you know, that they used to have? They used to love to gather, Right? They used to love to bear one another's burdens, and then perhaps that has died off a bit. Um, G.K. Beale makes the argument that he thinks it's uh, love for evangelism, love for witnessing, love for the world in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. They have their church, they have their situation, they have their doctrine, and they're content with that. They're doing a lot of great things, but they're not loving <laughs> the, the good news of the gospel to share that with people as they once ought to. And he points to uh, Matthew 24, where Jesus says, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And in verse 12 of Matthew 24, he says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. He says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the question is, is it talking about evangelism? Is it talking about... So I, I, I wrote down, is it... Well, what I actually wrote was, the commentators offer differing opinions, and likewise, you have given me some differing opinions, and they are related, and they are similar, but he doesn't say it specifically here. 
But you know what we can be sure of? When he wrote to Ephesus, they knew exactly what he was talking about. When they got that letter, they knew what their life looked like before and what was lacking now. Christ didn't write this letter to them, have this letter written and sent to them to leave them like, what is he talking about? No, the, the Holy Spirit would bring conviction if there, was any, if there was any doubt in the matter. And the reality is, we should be the same way. If we read a letter like this, I, I, I don't know if you noticed, if you guys were looking at your Bibles while you were reading, you didn't. <laughs> but if you were reading at the, the screen, I highlighted, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches. And just like with Philemon before, on the one hand, this letter is personal, and on the other hand, it's public. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's addressing certain people in a certain situation, but it's also for the wider church to be aware of and to learn from. And so when he says to Ephesus, you're doing a lot of good things, a lot of work, a lot of toil, a lot of endurance. Um, doctrinally, you're, you're testing apostles who claim to be apostles and you're finding them false. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. And, and again, as Maria had pointed out, they were a, a, um, a group that promoted the fact that you could engage in idolatry or eating food sacrificed to idols. You can engage in sexual immorality, and it wouldn't be a problem with your Christianity. You know? So he, he references with a, another church in, in a moment about the, the teachings of Balaam, and then he goes, in the same way, it's actually not in the ESV, it's like a redundancy that they don't translate. It's like, in the same way, in, in the same manner, you have the same guys doing this, <laughs> following the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So that's a very serious issue that churches are facing. Um, and he goes, and you hate them. Me too. That's a good, that's a good place to be. <laughs> hate what Jesus hates. But when we read this letter, we should be thinking to ourselves, have I lost, have I abandoned my first love? Whatever that love was. If, has our life and doctrine been commendable, but our heart and devotion lacking? Do we have the same love and zeal for Christ that makes us a light for Him? Do we love to be um, in the Word of God? Do we love to pray? Does it, do we have that same excitement that we have that perhaps that when, we got, when we first came to Christ? This might be a little bit harder for you if you got saved as a young person, you know, when I mean like young, like you're a kid, and like, yes, I... I remember, but I'm like, I wasn't that bad. So it wasn't like this huge lift, you know, of all these guilt and all this sin. It's all been taken away. I was pretty okay to begin with, as far as I knew. As you get older, you realize, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I'm not. Thank goodness that God has had mercy on me because I am a sinner in need of Christ. Um, but when we have that, do we have that same zeal to be in the Word? Do we have that same zeal to, to pray, to meditate on Christ and His goodness? Has our appreciation for the brethren and being around them waned? Has the familiarity set in? And what does familiarity breed? Contempt, they say, right? Um, has conflicts arise and we'd rather serve the Lord by ourselves and away from all that mess? Um, keeping in mind, though, that... Uh, have you ever heard, the, heard about that old Scottish preacher who visited a, 
uh, a parishioner who had stopped coming to church, and he just sat with him by the fire, a little coal fire. The preacher didn't say a word. He just took one coal away from the fire and put it down, and it quickly went out where the rest of the fire raged on. And that was the sermon for that man. He goes, I'll see you Sunday. <laughs> if we leave the brethren behind, we should not anticipate that we will be progressing in our sanctification and living for God the way we ought to. So is it our heart and devotion for God? Is it our appreciation and, and time spent with the brethren? Or has our zeal to share the gospel out of love for God and neighbor faded because of the increasing lawlessness that we face? Are we so used to the rejection and the hostility and the perversion that we're just like, we've just decided to collectively kick all the dust off us and just stay inside the church until Jesus comes back? Which is it? It could be, it could be none of these things. Perhaps all of you are like totally on fire for God. Love being with the brethren and I love going out and witnessing. So this letter might be encouraging to you on the, the commendable things and there might be no criticism for you uh, for the other things. But are there things in here that we recognize as part of our first love that no longer seem to be present? That's the question. And what can we do to repent? If you're in that situation, perhaps there's someone here who's struggling with some of these very same things and is too ashamed to say, yep, that's exactly me. If someone came to you and said, you know what, I feel like I have lost my first love. I don't feel like I have the same love and excitement for God, for His Word, for prayer. I don't feel like I have the same love for the brethren I used to have uh, because of this or that. Or I don't have a love, or maybe I never had a love for the evangelism, for, for witnessing. And yet, as I mentioned, Beale is, I was really enjoying his commentary as I was going through. I was looking at a few different ones, and he's big on saying that part of the works and part of the love is that gospel witness. He says, you know, he points to Jesus and talking about the lampstand, reminding us that we are to be a, a light to the world. Also reminding us that he's the one who's there providing the help we need to be that light of the world. Um, so for us to stop doing those things, for Ephesus, the, the believers there to stop doing those things, if they stop being a witness, well, then they're not being a lamp, are they? And so Jesus says he'll take away their lampstand, right? What can you do with salt if it's no longer salty? You toss it. So if you had someone, because I don't have any time to go into any other churches, <laughs> so this will be something where maybe the next week pastor says, you know what? Take it again. Uh, or just something in the future. I'll just like, oh, I got stuff ready to talk about. Remember what we talked about like eight months ago? <laughs> well, here, let's get back to that next church. But before we close, if someone is struggling with, I've lost my first love, whatever that love might be for them in that case, it's all, they're all related. <laughs> you know, it's love for God, it's love for neighbor. So it's all related, and it all has to do with us being a light to the world. We're known by our love, right? So what would you tell someone who is struggling with those things? How would you encourage a brother and sister? They're out of luck. <laughs> Got nothing for you, man. Maria. Them to 
pray for that love and of course repent. Pray for so repent. Okay. Um, as the yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful when the answers are in the passage. Yes, that's true. Very good. Um, also to pray that God would give them that love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else? Give me a hint. Go back to doing those things, whatever it is. Go go back to evangelism or reading the word or praying, whatever it is that they have failed to do. Remember that for where you fall and repent. And do the works you did at the first. Yes, exactly right. That's fantastic. That's very good. Very insightful. <laughs> it's that sometimes it's that simple. And as I like to tell people when I counsel, it's simple but it's not always easy, all right? So I'm not being unfair, dismissive, or, or light about these things. These are things that people really struggle with. We struggle with our, our zeal and our passion for God. Uh, we struggle with our, our love for our neighbor, and especially those in the church who we should be so close to and want to fellowship with because God tells us to. And we should want to go and evangelize the world. And it's hard, especially... The more lawless it grows, it's just like, is there anyone out there? <laughs> Are there any possible elect? Because it just seems like we're just hitting walls all the time. So there's reasons why we struggle, and yet we know what God has appointed us to. And we know when he talks about, it's easier to read off of here, <laughs> the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is with us. He is present. And he is ready to provide that spiritual fuel, the, the, the things that we need in our life to love him as we ought to. Come to me, you who are weak and weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy. Learn from me. Come to you, me who are thirsty. Right? He's the one who provides. We're not doing it in our own strength. But we're not playing fake it till you make it. <laughs> we really are looking to Christ to help us to repent. He tells us to do things. He's going to give us what we need to do that. And we just have to keep persisting in prayer and asking God to help us. And we repent. We recognize God is right. I'm wrong. Where I'm falling short of his standard. I need to change my view, change my perspective, and I need to begin to do those things anyway. <laughs> I need to do what God commands me to do and pray that God will help me to have the heart and have the umption to, to go and to do those things well and for His glory. So, any questions or comments about that? That's the church in Ephesus. It's one down. No? Everyone's like, I knew this already, but thank you for the reminder. <laughs> I think the key to it is to remember where you have fallen from. Mm. You know, when you go back to what your life would be mm. or, or what you've done and you recognize just how severely you've rebelled against God, you've sinned, you've hurt other people, uh, and you see the forgiveness that 
Jesus gave you and, and, and the love that he showed you and that he he took the, the, the wrath on the cross for you. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't motivate you, you know, to do works of love and love other people, that's the problem. So you need to recognize, like Ezekiel uh, 36, I say it all the time. Mm -hmm. You got all the I wills and then you get to the two you wills. Mm -hmm. You will remember your evil deeds and mm -hmm. you will loathe yourselves. And once yeah. you're in that place of hating your evil deeds and loathing yourselves, when you look at the cross, that motivates you, that propels you forward. To fill you with love and gratitude and a desire to, to serve uh, as a cool. So I share this, though it might be fairly common to you. If, I mean, if you just start Revelation, like it might get a little hectic in there. It's like there's a lot of imagery and stuff. But this is fairly easy to follow. <laughs> so it's that very beginning. So maybe you're very familiar with that. But like, oh, I remember that, that, that church, that letter of Ephesus. Um, the reason I bring it up is, like I said, these things are still true today, right? And these warnings, I mean, God gives us commendation. He gives credit where credit is due, which is sort of funny because we owe, we deserve no credit. It's His mercy. It's His grace. And yet He also points out those things, and He gives very sober warnings. If not, He says, repent, because if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And we don't know when that's going to happen. <laughs> they, they didn't know if and when that would happen. They knew that if they did not repent, it would happen. They don't know how much time they have. We don't know how much time we have. You know, we, we all think we have years to go, decades to go. And then some of us, we don't make it to bed that night. And we're standing before the throne. And we don't want to say... I'm sorry, I, I blew it. I, was, I thought I had more time to get around to what you wanted me to do. So we should have a sense of urgency of what God is calling us to.